The message today is based on the text from Ezekiel 2, along with the text from the end of of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, and I want to read a portion of that to you right now. And this is what Ezekiel says. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, where the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south, the, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward of the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me to the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and the water was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. This is the word of the Lord. Last year, across America, we saw the destructive power of water as flooding hit places like Texas and Puerto Rico after those hurricanes. See, floodwaters can be incredibly destructive to homes and cities, bringing silt and mud, pesticides, and dangerous debris. All you have to do is follow the floodwaters, and you can see the path of destruction left in its wake. It seems overwhelming. But flooding can also be beneficial, particularly in fertile floodplains like the Mississippi Valley or the Nile River Valley in Egypt. There, flooding is incredibly beneficial and supports agriculture as it has for millennia, bringing millions of tons of nutrient-rich silt deposits each and every year, allowing the farmers to grow on their fertile lands. See, flooding is a natural part of the life cycle in these environments. It's one of the ways that God uses the powerful, destructive forces of our world to bring new life and new growth into different places. In Scripture, water is frequently used as a metaphor, a metaphor for spiritual washing, a metaphor for cleansing from sin, a metaphor for going underwater in baptism as a sign of our death and burial with Christ and emerging from those waters as a sign of our new life, that new hope we have that new birth. In the Old Testament, water is the spring of water that comes from the rock giving hope to the people in the desolate wilderness as Moses commands the water to come out. And in the New Testament, water is where life comes from as as we see the water pouring out of Jesus' side on the cross. And so this passage from Ezekiel 47 uses water as a metaphor for God's restorative power. And it comes from the end of Ezekiel's message, telling us how God is going to restore the people of Israel and how God will establish a new spiritual life and a new creation. See, the the lesson from Ezekiel 2 painted a picture of a prophet sent to a rebellious nation, a hard-hearted people who would not listen to God. 
There was no hope. They were about to face the wrath of God flooding out, bringing them into exile. See, by the time Ezekiel writes chapter 47, the Israelites had seen God's temple, the symbol of their spiritual life, destroyed, and Jerusalem, the, the city and the land of their hope, had been conquered. They were taken into exile. Hope seemed lost. In this passage at the end, Ezekiel points them towards a better future, a future that God is going to bring about, maybe not today, but in the days ahead. A future with another land, a land where God will prosper the people, a future with a new temple. And we know that future temple is, is in Christ and now dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. God will continue to provide for his people. This passage can be challenging to follow and understand, but it's worth following to get caught up in the hope this vision has because it gives hope not only to the people of Israel, but hope to us today of restoration, of new life, even in our challenging times and circumstances. So as we begin with Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel starts in the temple, and God brings, as God bring, begins to bring renewal through worship. See, worship is where God engages with his people, Israel, face-to-face, and it's where he continues to engage with us face-to-face in word and in the sacraments, in the places where God continues to pour out his life into us. And so beginning there, God begins to bubble up a spring, a spring that will bring life. And first, this spring flows out of the temple, through the doors, down it steps, past the south side of the altar where sacrifices are made, and then the stream turns left and flows out of the south gate. Now, this might seem like arbitrary information to you right now, but this is important imagery to the people of Israel, of Ezekiel's day. And here's why. Pilgrims, when they came to worship God at the big feast, always entered the temple courts through the north gate and left through the south. That means that the river of renewal flows in the direction of people leaving worship, people heading back out after receiving God's grace. Because you see, God's grace and mercy is received here in worship, gathered as God's people. But after it bubbles up in worship, where does it go? It, It always goes out into the world through us. We take God's grace, God's mercy, God's hope, and bring it to a hopeless generation. The spirit that we engage with in worship, that we receive and encounter as God's people, will always lead our lives in the direction of God's mission. But if you try to get by without worship, if you don't start there, then you'll miss the river, you'll miss the spirit's leading, you'll miss where God is leading his people and his church. It always begins gathering together as God's people here in this place together. This is where he feeds us in word and sacrament. But the imagery goes further than that. See, the river coming out of the temple, going south, then turns east. For the Israelites, that would have meant turning towards their enemies, turning towards nations like Edom that had set themselves up as enemies of God, had rejoiced over their downfall, had always been trying to topple God's king and his kingdom. But now, in this vision of the future, God's river of blessing, that river of life, flows not only to the people of Israel, but but to the foreign nations, to the enemies, those people who had set themselves up against God. He pours out his blessings. This should remind us and means that for us as worship, we're led toward outsiders, toward our enemies in love and blessing, just as Jesus told us to act and pray and bless our enemies and bless those who curse us. See, it leads us towards those who seek our harm. Worship leads us in prayer and action to love the difficult neighbor, the difficult coworker, the challenging family member, 
It leads us to pray for the Muslim, the atheist, and the antagonist toward us, our church, or even our nation. But then it continues. In verse 3 to 7, the river flows, getting deeper and deeper. And the further you go, the more it seems to want to pick you up and carry you along, leading you not necessarily in the direction that you would choose, but in the way that God is taking you. Because he does indeed have a plan. And he is leading us. See, after you reach that point where the river is too deep to cross, the angel brings Ezekiel back to the bank where there are trees on both sides. And these trees produce a crop every month because they're fed from the temple, from that river, that blessing and mercy of God. This imagery should draw us back to the Garden of Eden where there were the, there were the trees on both sides of the river where God blessed his people and provided all they needed. But it also points us forward to the picture of the new creation in Revelation 21, where God is providing for his people for the river of life that anyone can drink from free of charge. And we receive that that rest and that provision that God promises to give us. See, these trees, this life flourishes only when they're connected to the fully flowing river of God. God's provision, God's healing for growth, come when our feet are off the ground in faith. But that can be a little disconcerting. See, when we, when we let go of trying to control the direction we're going, that's when God blesses us most. Amazing things happen as we surrender to the direction of the river. That is, to God's movement and his continuous provision in our lives and in our congregations. But as the river continues, it flows from there into the Dead Sea, a visible sign of God's judgment. Because that was where Sodom and Gomorrah were covered in the salty ash of God's judgment. So in the place where nothing lives, where, where death reigns, the river begins to bring life and healing. Just as Christ brings life and healing into the dead places of our lives and our communities. From there, the river go down, goes down into the Arabah, which in Hebrew means the Great Depression. It's the, the lowest place on the surface of the earth. And it is a place where nothing lives and death reigns and the life of God's spirit encountered in worship goes down to the lowest places, the deadliest places, and it brings life. But what does this mean for us as Christians? It means that following God takes us to the places of death, of despair, and of hopelessness. Is it any wonder then that many of us will get out of the river before it gets too deep and too fast for us to control our path because we don't, we don't like those places? But where the river of God goes and where it flows, it turns places of desolation and death into a beautiful garden flourishing with life. Where darkness had reigned and death had reigned, God brings light and life and they take over. What seemed hopeless and dead is where God begins his rule and his reign and brings new life. Just as he did with Christ on the cross. Now, sometimes for us, it can feel like we're being overwhelmed by the waters of life. We find ourselves in the river of God, and instead of being refreshed and renewed like it promises, we find ourselves feeling more like the people of Noah's day, drowning in God's judgment, overwhelmed. Or we feel like the people of Israel in exile, hopelessly distant from God, with our place of worship, with our place of hope, torn apart. But that's because we want control. We want to have everything go our way according to our plan. And when it doesn't, we feel weak. But as Paul says, it is in our weakness where God most clearly displays his glory and his strength. It is in worship as we gather together like today as God's people. 
where we encounter God and see his power and life-giving strength and mercy fill us back up again as you gather as the body of Christ. It's here that we receive the life-giving water from Jesus that empowers us in the trials and leads us out towards others, that we receive in word, that we receive in the waters of baptism, in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. God continues to fill us up. And as the river of God floods our situations and lives, it may seem that it's bringing death and destruction. It may seem like it's not going our way. But following the flow of God's river always leads through death to new life. That's the way that God works. It's the unexpected way that Jesus brought about that new life in the gospel. The counterintuitive change as God overthrows the powers and the forces of darkness. See, in Jesus, God restores what was lost and seemed hopeless. Our lives, our communities, our future. Christ is where Ezekiel's vision finds its fulfillment. Jesus came to bring life and life to the full. He came to proclaim the good news of God's love and reign into our lives, into our hearts. And it continues to flow into the midst of, God, of God's people gathered here. Because where the river of God flows, life will flourish. In Ezekiel, the river brings life and hope to the exiles as it shares a vision of life in the darkest and most hopeless places like the Dead Sea and the Arabah. And Jesus brings life and hope into those places in our lives. See, Jesus promised in John's gospel that anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Jesus promised that he will give us what we need to endure and thrive spiritually. And Jesus promised that those who knock, it will be opened. Those who seek, they will find. God will provide. God will be with us. At the beginning of Ezekiel's vision, the water started from the south side of the altar. The life-giving water flowed out from the place where sacrifices were offered. And at the end of Revelation in chapter 21, this same river is mentioned, bringing life to us in the new creation, flowing from under the throne of God. A mystery revealed on the cross at the place of Jesus' death. A sacrifice offered for us is also the exaltation, the crowning of our king. See, at the cross, as it appeared, all was lost. The savior, our king, hung lifeless, but pierced with a spear and with the nails, the life-giving water flowed from his side, flooding our lives with new life. His blood shed to renew and restore each and every one of us. Jesus poured out his very blood, the water of life, so that we might have new life. When we feel overwhelmed by the floods of life, we need to remember that we're never without hope. Because God has brought us new life today through Jesus, and he will bring us everlasting life on the last day for those who believe in him, who cling to those promises, who drink from those, the waters of life. If we follow the flow Sometimes it may not seem like it, but our cups will indeed continuously overflow with God's blessings and mercy because they never cease and he always pours them out on us. See, our God is not in the business of bringing death or despair, but even through these things as awful as death and despair, our God brings new life through Christ. All we have to do is follow him in faith because when you stand in Christ refreshed by the river, then you're connected to the source of love, of hope, and life that does not fail you. It always restores you. It always renews you. It always provides you exactly what you need. Amen.